listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Ann Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian Truscott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kem Mayfield, or Mathley, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just, there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now, and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Content Matters podcast. Um, it's great to have you back on this nice sunny day. And I'll warn you, just like I warn my guest, if you hear birds chirping, it's because I have my windows open and it's a beautiful day and I can't, I can't deny the birds making their lovely sounds for us. So I want to introduce you to Ken Maffley. He's the Senior Digital Marketing Manager at Townsend Security and he's responsible for brand awareness. He manages the lead generation team and he's helping the company move forward with initiatives like account-based marketing. He's been working as a marketer for the last 10 years, and he's learned a thing or two about SEO and content strategy, which he's going to share with us today. And before we get started, I want to make sure or to say that Ken isn't an analyst. He's not a consultant. He is a practitioner. He's building and implementing marketing strategies on a daily basis, and it's really great to get that unique perspective on the podcast. So welcome, Ken. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. And I hope no one gets the jokes about the Barbie and Ken, oh, which I didn't say this is Barb, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, no, I do, I do still get that, even though I'm, I'm in my 40s. Yeah, <laughs> it's just how it is. So, yeah. so tell me, you've been, you've been a consultant, and, you, and now you're working for a brand directly, and you worked for a brand directly before you were a consultant. Is there a difference in how you approach um, the work you do for the different, the different kinds of roles? Absolutely, there is. Um, you know, as a consultant, you really have to uh, put on two hats, uh, one as being the teacher and the other being a practitioner. Um, so a lot of times when companies uh, hire you as a consultant, uh, they need you because they either have a deficiency in skill set or time, and most likely it's both. Uh, so a lot of times when you're coming in, you're building a campaign you're getting the relevant stakeholders on board 
but they don't have any experience, prior experience with you. So you really have to um, come with the heart of a teacher and lead them through the process as to why each component is needed and relevant. Um, and then once you get that buy-in, then it's about executing on the plan as well as continuing to follow up with uh, you know, how things are going, why we're doing things a certain way, why we have to pivot um, and uh, edit the plan. Uh, with being a, as part of an in-house marketing team, though, you kind of build up that uh, internal reputation. Uh, you know, people have been with you for years. And so at the, in the beginning, you know, you, you have to come with that heart of a teacher. But over time, uh, a lot of that becomes shorthand as uh, people work with you longer and longer. So then it just becomes more about executing and being able to uh, pivot quickly when unexpected challenges come. People are more on board in an in-house shop, um, you know, because they, 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 they know you, you, you work well with the team. Uh, so uh, you can be a little bit more agile uh, when you're in-house. At least that, that, that's what I've found. Okay. It definitely makes a lot of sense. And I can see... Um how it would work that way. So as um, an in-house marketer, do you think things have changed in the content space today? Like have you, have, has it changed how you approach the way you do marketing, content marketing? Oh, Barb, I, I don't know about you, but you know, I've, um, in the last 10 years, things have changed dramatically. Um, you know, when I was first started to do uh, digital marketing, uh, 10 plus years ago, it really was about, you know, uh, building, you know, great content, uh, typically in the form of a blog post, you know, on, on a website, uh, maybe adding some images, you know, breaking up the text so it wasn't a monotonous, you know, having a, having a good user experience, but it really was a text heavy experience. Um, and, you know, even back then there was Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. Um, but a lot of times, you know, with, with Twitter, it was just, you know, put a link up, uh, of your post, a, a little uh, blurb about it and kind of attract some attention that way. Well, nowadays it's, it's omnichannel focused, uh, yeah. you know, every piece of content has to be uh, customized for the particular channel that you're uh, using. Um, so, you know, whether it be uh, custom sized images, graphics, videos, um, you know, I, in, in my book, it, it's changed for the better. You know, I, I get geeked out and excited to, to, you know, you get to use all these different mediums to, to interact with your audience. But, um, yeah, it, it definitely has upped, uh, upped my game in the last 10 years. Is it, do you think it's hard to keep up? Because, um, as a consultant, you're kind of given a certain amount of time to brush up and stay up to date on the latest approaches and techniques and you know everything's not written it's video it's audio it's it's combinations it's different channels like you said but when you're in-house doing the work it seems like you don't get as much time to kind of figure out if this newest thing really is something that you want to do do you find that's kind of a challenge you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think it depends on the, uh, the in-house uh, marketing shop that you're in. Um, in the environment that I'm in, um, I have a lot of latitude to explore new, new things. So, as an example, uh, my CEO, 
uh, was actually game in letting me uh, make him into an animated character um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. So, you know, for our latest uh, video that we uh, produced, uh, uh, Patrick Townsend uh, became an uh, animated character and, you know, explained some pretty difficult concepts, but it, it all worked, you know. Um, I, I, think, I think if you're a part of a team that allows for experimentation and, and explicitly allows for failure, you can get in and try new things uh, and, you know, see what, see what sticks, see what doesn't, you know, do better next time. Um, I think, I think you're able to kind of keep on top of the latest trends, but if you're in an environment that doesn't allow for experimentation, that, that could be kind of rough to, with keeping up with things. Yeah. So yeah, definitely you want to be in a company that is definitely open and wants to be not necessarily innovative, but definitely trying the new, trying new ways to get attention and get engaged with your customers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, there's a good thing to talk about there is you talked about, you know, omni-channel, different channels. And going along with that is this idea of figuring out the right segments and audiences that you're trying to reach across and how they, how you reach them across these different channels. So how, how do you kind of figure out that right match and, and figuring out not just the people you want to talk to that have the buying power, but also the ones that have the influence towards purchasing your solution or products. Oh man, that comes down to research, research, research. Yeah. We are uh, disciplined uh, when it comes to building out our buyer personas. Mm -hmm. And and really that comes down to uh, not only interviewing our, our current customers, but also uh, reaching out and interviewing some of our closed lost opportunities uh, to those who will talk to us. Because uh, not only do we want to see, you know, who, who they are, uh, why they initially came to us, but you know why why they uh, chose to maybe go elsewhere or, or not do anything at this time. Um, so that that research is invaluable um, for us. We actually um, hired uh, someone to to come in and, and do that because all, all of our plates were full, um, and she just did a phenomenal job. Um, the 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 feedback that we got back from our clients and our closed lost opportunities really helped us craft five personas that then we were able to start to interrogate those personas and say, okay, for persona one, um, what, what kind of keywords would they use to, to find us? What kind of questions would they be asking? What kind of content would they be consuming in the awareness, consideration, and decision stage of the buyer's journey. And once we begin to map all that out, it became pretty apparent what we did well as far as uh, filling in our content and what gaps we had and, and where we needed to fill. So for kind of sum up the, you know, too long didn't read the answer of, of your question, it really is uh, research in, in building um, accurate personas. And something that you have to kind of stay up on all the time. Like you can't just create the persona or the personas, like you said, you've got five and just assume they're always going to stay that way. And their content preferences at different stages are always going to stay that way. Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you know, cause 
But five years ago, I think we had eight personas. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And we realized, oh, okay. I, I think that's probably, you know, we can probably uh, boil this down a little bit. Um, and, and it was that continued uh, research of continuing to um, uh, interview clients to, to understand, okay. Because, you know, basically the, the question you're asking is, uh, what pain point did we fill when they purchased our product? Um, and it really came down to five pain points. And, and, and that's, that's when we restructured. Okay. So when you develop your personas and started working on your content um, for them, you must have been thinking about SEO, obviously, big topic, Absolutely. big thing. But um, it's also going through its own evolution. So when you think of SEO and how that relates to your, how you're approaching it, how do, how, how do you find it's changed or has it changed at all? Oh, boy. It has come light years from where it was um, 10, 12 years ago when I got in the game. Um, you know, 10, 12 years ago, Google was threatening the SEO world, basically saying, hey, stop all your shenanigans. Um, you know, as far as like uh, keyword stuffing and uh, uh, black hat link building tactics, you know, private blog networks, you know, the, the works, um, you know, stop the shenanigans, just build content that people really want to consume answers, uh, answers, uh, user queries and is naturally linkable and, you know, it'll happen. And at the time the SEO world kind of threw up their hands and said, yeah, we've already tried that. It doesn't work. Well, Google, Google has made good on its promise in uh, building an, an entirely new uh, ranking algorithm called RankBrain that actually studies user engagement metrics to specific uh, web pages. And then through that user engagement metrics are able to uh, upgrade or downgrade a web pages uh, ranking on the search engine results pages. So, Actually building engaging content now is a primary way that you get higher in Google's uh, search pages. So I, I think it's a great time uh, to be an SEO. It has changed a lot, but we're much better able to, uh, to focus on the user experience and give people exactly what they want. So is SEO now kind of equated to content strategy or is content strategy the bigger picture and SEO is a key component of that? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, Cause obviously there's still technical um, things that you have to do to your content in order for Google to best understand what you're talking about. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the technical components of uh, do you have, uh, the main keyword in the URL? Is it in an H1 tag? You know, you know all, all, the, all the technical stuff you do to send the right signals. Um, but then once you have those technical things down, it's about fully exploring a topic and allowing uh, a user to, to ask a question and get a, a full and complete answer so much that they actually want to go deeper into your website. Um, so I think, I think there is, there's always going to be that technical component of SEO just to optimize the page. Um, there's the UX component. And then ultimately, it is about uh, getting authority signals 
uh, so that Google understands that your page uh, is seen by the community as an authoritative page by link building, by um, promoting on social media, you know, having those user engagement metrics on social media. Um, so it, you know, I think SEO still plays a dominant role, uh, but now it's equally weighted with user experience. Okay. And what about voice search? Like, I know that voice search and digital, you know, voice assistants, whatever, are super, super popular in the B2C community. But is it is it just as important to kind of think about that and have SEO a strategy around voice for B2B, which is what your company does? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And a few years ago, when voice search really started to come on the scene, it really had a lot of SEO folks freaking out, right? Because now do we have to, you know, change our, our strategy so that everything is in the form of a question, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah, what do we do here? And um, once, the, once the dust settled, I think the consensus came back, and at least it's the answer or conclusion I've come to, is if we're building content for our personas, we are automatically looking for the questions that they're asking in each step of the buyer's journey and we're answering them. So, so, you know, it has changed the game a little bit. Uh, I think even on the, the B2B stage, because yeah, let, let's be honest, you know, a lot of B2B customers are um, doing their uh, Google searches uh, during work hours. So it's on a desktop of some kind, whether it be a laptop or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so voice search isn't as dominant. Uh, there. But I would say, at least in our experience, um, a large majority of people are, are finding us via mobile. Um, and so it's fair to assume that a lot of them are also finding us via some kind of voice search. And, and again, um, we, we haven't felt a, a bump, um, you know, uh, when that change started to happen because we were already answering questions. And so we were putting things in the form of a question and then providing the answer. And that, that, that made that transition pretty simple. Okay. So let's, let's kind of go there a bit more then. Um, you said you, you, you're kind of putting your content in the, in, in question like format. That is, I assume you're talking about this creation of these, this idea of a pillar page, uh, something mm. that HubSpot kind of coined. I, I think they coined it um, for, you know, these long form pages that really present in-depth information on a topic. So if I assume that's what you're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in, in, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. A quick pause to say thank you to Ingenix, the Content Matters sponsor. Ingenix is a leading provider of agile content management solutions. You can check them out at Ingenix.com. Okay, so um, how did you learn about this approach and, and why did you kind of determine that this was really important to you and why, you know, why a B2B brand especially would want to create this kind of in-depth content for their customers? Oh, absolutely. I didn't know. Great, great question. And I, it, it's funny, it, it, it kind of ties into uh, a little bit of our story of the last two and a half years. Because um, we were, uh, we were doing really well with our uh, inbound marketing. Uh, we, we got in early uh, on inbound marketing. And so really for uh, for four or five years, uh, we were just having year, year over year growth with our organic search. 
um, things are doing really well. And then in 2015, uh, not 2015 or 16, <laughs> I'm getting the, the dates a little, it's becoming a bit uh, fuzzy now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we experienced a lot of our growth just evaporated uh, within a couple of months. Um, it was, it was a really frustrating time for us because, you know, we weren't doing anything different. Uh, but all of a sudden our, our organic growth really began to suffer. Um, and once we kind of did a deep dive, did a market analysis to figure out what was going on, we, we realized we are, we've always known this, but we are a David in, the, in a room full of Goliaths. Um, you know, we have uh, both keyword and product competitors that um, spend more in marketing in one month than we likely will in a year. You know, and that that just is the way it is. You know, we're a smaller company. We yeah. we have a, a quality product, but uh, you know, our our competitors, uh, you know, they they have a lot more money to throw around. So we realized that the competitive landscape was changing, and that's likely what was going on. And we we needed to switch strategies um, or augment our strategy uh, to better compete. So. Through the course of this market analysis, uh, we were talking to our HubSpot consultant, and they were just coming out uh, with this um, uh, marketing methodology called topic clusters. And the prime component of that, the topic cluster methodology is the pillar page. And those who have been in SEO uh, would likely recognize the pillar page as a, a skyscraper page um, okay. or a web page that just in every way is 10x above uh, your keyword competitors. Um, it has more, uh, it goes more in depth on uh, the topic. It uh, fleshes out each subtopic. It has more uh, helpful graphics. It has more images. It has more videos. It just, you know, the, the UX uh, design of it, you know, uh, there's navigation, everything, everything that you can do to make this a wonderful experience for your user, you're going to do it and you're going to do it 10x above uh, all your keyword competitors. Um, and then supporting that and around that is um, uh, at least eight uh, or more um, blog posts, videos, infographics that surround it each uh, more uh, fully fleshing out each subtopic of that topic. And then those all link back to your pillar page. Um, so I, I don't think I even took one look at it. I think I took about a half look at it and I just said, this is it. This, this is it. Because all of my, my prior SEO knowledge led to the place of this is, this is all, all the white hat tactics uh, of SEO put into a, a single methodology. So perfect. Let's, you know, uh, and my, my, uh, my boss, the, the director of marketing, uh, he, I don't think he even had to take a full look. He's like, yeah, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. So we spent uh, three months um, designing our first uh, pillar page and getting it live. Uh, and uh, then spent the next, uh, three months tweaking it, um, sending that, that, that signal to Google, like, Hey, we're, we're not done with this. We want to keep on improving this till we get it perfect. Um, and 
uh, then spent uh, an additional six months promoting it. And uh, the, the results have been phenomenal. So they're not like these topic pages, these um, pillar pages, they're not about your product though, right? They're about a concept or an idea around your products. Is that, that's how it works, right? Uh, yeah, excellent. Yes. Uh, and, that, and that probably fully fleshes out uh, uh, your question. I realize I probably went a little sideways on uh, going down story lane. Um, you're absolutely right. So going back to the concept of voice search, um, the, at the very top of our pillar page, we ask the question, uh, what is encryption key management? And then, then we spend the rest of that pillar page answering that question. Um, so yes, it, it, it is more high level. It's more educational and informative. Uh, the, the first one we built is a very awareness stage for uh, most of our personas, but it, it does, it, it satisfies that, uh, that itch of what is encryption key management and from ta- uh, start to finish, we, we did our best to, uh, to answer that. So we actually named the, the page, the definitive guide to encryption key management fundamentals. Cause that's, you're, you're right. Informative get grab people early start talking to them early about uh encryption key management how did how did um that page work out for you what were the results that you saw we, we couldn't have asked for anything better honestly um i think so we launched it in january of 17 and um so which makes the start of my story um 2016 not 15 um we launched that in January, and by September of that year, we were ranking number one for the top handful of keywords that we wanted to rank for. Wow, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So obviously, that means that keyword finding the right keywords that you want to cover is top top of mind critical, right? Absolutely. Yeah that that literally is the headwater of SEO. Hmm. It sounds, it sounds like you took, it took a lot of time and a lot of work to create it, but the payback was, was even better. So have you done more pillar pages since then, or is that kind of your, your guiding light right now? Yeah. Once, once we had the, the success that we had with, um, uh, with that pillar page, we actually created four more, uh, and then surrounded it with, uh, topic cluster blog posts and, infographics and videos and whatnot. Um, and, and those, those have done, uh, phenomenally well as, as well. Uh, we're, we're very pleased with, uh, how we're performing in, uh, the search engine result pages and, um, and just the organic traffic that we've been able to get now year over year. Are they, are they connected on your website or are they kind of standalone pages that are just linked through, you know, um, to, you know, targeted AdWords and search and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, so they are, uh, they are their own web page. They're not a part of the blog or, or anything like that. Um, and then we have very strategic links, uh, both on our blog and our main uh, website uh, that, that link to them. Uh, so they are, they are kind of an integral part of the website, but yes, they are standalone pages. Okay. But that, that's, and that's, but that's what I was wondering. Are they part of the website? Cause some people will create this kind of content, but not, not have it really top of top navigation or whatever on your website. It's just 
kind of there and and they find it through searching and stuff like that but they don't make it part of their navigation or you know a key component of their web experience correct yeah so not not a part of our top nav uh, we we experimented and found that the the best placement for them was on the right sidebar of our blog post, uh, our, our our blog, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, and then as part of our resource section uh, in our main website. Okay, and so you you said it's a lot of written content. Is there a video? Do you do video and and kind of any kind of audio that goes along with it or anything? Yeah. So as part of our, the, the main pillar page or um, definitive guide to encryption key management, uh, that one actually has a, um, uh, an intro video. Um, it has nine or 10 graphics and then two interactive graphics. So you're actually able to click into them and get more information because uh, they're, they're pretty dense flowcharts and, you know, so we, we wanted to make that as uh, interactive as possible. They sound really interesting. I can see why people would, if, if they really wanted to know about that particular topic, why they would kind of be drawn to it and really kind of consume as much of it as possible. How do you kind of, in what, you know, put a call to action in there that kind of points them back to, yeah, we know all of this because we create these products that support this capability. Like you, I assume you want to show that in some way. Well, here, here's the funny thing uh, for our, uh, for our, our main pillar page, we actually don't uh, point to the product and people might, you know, check our temperature and <laughs> see if we're running a fever at that point. But <laughs> Uh, we we decided since uh, since this was obviously awareness stage product um, uh, uh, page, mm-hmm. we we weren't going to jump to a decision stage offering. Um, so believe it or not, well, uh, among the other CTAs, there's there's about seven or eight CTAs on the page, but the the main CTA is actually just offering people to download that uh, pillar page uh, as an offline resource. And, and I failed to mention uh, that the pillar page is completely ungated. So uh, people can go and access it uh, for free without getting, giving any information at any time. Um, but, but we actually have a phenomenally high um, form fill rate for people actually wanting to then just download that so that they can have it at any time. Um, and that, that was a little bit of a leap of faith because we had never done that before. Uh, but the, the, the results uh, speak for themselves. Uh, depending on the month, uh, the, the form fills to, to download that pillar page uh, can sometimes be 10% of our overall leads. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that really speaks to the power of giving people uh, everything they want and more in a, in a user experience. And definitely shows that um, you don't have to gate every piece of content on your site to make to make it beneficial to you. That maybe in in a lot of cases it might be smarter to not gate content to get people drawn in and actually reading your stuff. Yeah, and and let let me tell you um, that was that was tough stuff <laughs> for us when we went. When we were just like, because we had never done that before, everything you know, everything that was ebook uh, quality was was put behind a gate. You know, yeah. we we wanted to use it as lead generation. So, 
it was a little bit of a gamble for us, but it, it paid off in spades. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you, you, one of the things that you were also working on are um, account-based marketing strategies. Does this kind of content feed into those strategies? Like, do you tie inbound with ABM together? Yes. You know, the, the funny thing is ABM, um, traditional ABM is primarily an outbound exercise, right? You, yep. Uh, target, uh, target companies, you, uh, you know, push ads their way as soon as they start to express interest in some kind of uh, user behavior. Um, you then, you know, find contact info and reach out to them via phone and email. And, you know, so that's, that's the traditional ABM model, as well as a lot of other things you can do. But um, we are a dyed-in-the-wool inbound shop. Uh, we're, we're never going to change our ways. Um, so everything we do comes from an inbound philosophy. Uh, so we, we do obviously, you know, push ads uh, out to uh, prospect uh, companies. But then we want them to begin to engage with us from a content perspective. And uh, so we send them to a resource page. We have stuff that is ungated that they can just start to read and consume. And uh, then they begin to, to raise their hand by continuing to explore and, uh, you know, filling out forms for further eBooks and, and whatnot, as well as we do some retargeting. Um, and then once they, once they do that, then they start to get feathered into our inbound uh, machine. Um, and then the nice thing is because we have so many people come into our, our website, uh, our inbound machine actually begins to identify new targets uh, for our ABM um, uh, campaigns. So it is this nice self-feeding loop of, uh, you know, we feed people into the inbound machine and the inbound machine identifies people that we uh, want to put into ABM, ABM campaigns. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and I like how that works. Like there's a lot, a lot of, there's some kind of talk, you know, that inbound strategies don't really work because you don't, it's harder to find the right people or how do you, how do you know the right people are coming to you? But if they're mm -hmm. coming in and you're finding a way to kind of qualify them or bucket them into kind of your persona categories, then, then you can turn around and come back at them with the appropriate account-based marketing strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and you're absolutely right. You know, in, inbound does grab some people, you know, because the, the kind of content that we produce, uh, we actually get a lot of university students that are, <laughs> they're writing a term paper on encryption key management and they, mm -hmm. they need some resources quick, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we get a, we get a fair amount of that, but, you know, we also feel like that's investing back into the community uh, because someday those university students are going to be the IT workers we want to be talking to. Yeah. So we may have caught them five years too soon, but I don't know that that's too soon, you know? No, I don't, I don't think so. And, and I don't think that I don't necessarily believe that everything we do as a marketer should directly speak to the person we want to grab as a customer today, like the unit, there's so many other people that can influence the customer that we want today or down the road that you, you kind of want to reach that broader, broader audience to some degree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we, we do look at it as kind of giving back to the, the community. We, 
um, you know, we, we, we try and work with uh, higher education um, universities, colleges, you know, uh, technical colleges, uh, because they're, they really are producing, um, you know, what we hope is going to be a, a stable IT community that, that knows these concepts. Uh, so for us to be a part of that, I, it, we're over the moon about it. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, what's next? What kind of things are you looking at or thinking about? What new approaches are you liking, wanting to try? Well, you know, ever, ever since we launched our first pillar page, uh, it has been an evolution in understanding how we can better serve um, our prospects, what they, what they need in, in a way that is, is fully digestible. So I, for me, I, and I guess the, the other side of me, uh, by the way, is I'm, uh, I'm an Adobe file. I, I love all of uh, Adobe's products, whether it be Illustrator, Photoshop, After Effects, you know, Audition, and so on and so forth. So um, I'm, I'm constantly looking to see, you know, like, okay, well, we, we tried this, but what about this? And, you know, see, see if we can't up our game a little bit more on the user experience and uh, whether it's, um, you know, kind of pushing our boundaries as far as uh, video goes or interactive infographics. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly, we have our little test lab that we're, we're, we're tinkering with things, trying to figure out uh, how we can better engage our, uh, our prospects. So that's, that, that's, that's always kind of in the background where we're constantly tinkering. Always, always improving the user experience. Definitely something everybody should be doing, right? Absolutely. All right. Okay. Uh, back, uh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks. <Ken. laughs> this, I think it's been really interesting. And I, I, the whole idea of, you know, topic clusters and content is, is a great way to think about, you know, how to develop your content strategy. If, if, and I assume people are thinking about that on some level in some way, but looking at it, mapping it that way just makes so much sense. Seems so clear for how to find the right content for the right people in, that you're trying to reach. Awesome. Yeah, no, ha happy to talk about it. I, this is the stuff that I, I wake up thinking about. So getting a chance to, to talk to you about it, that's, that's icing on the cake. Yeah, perfect. So um, thank you everyone for listening today. Um, on behalf of Ingenix, our sponsor, um, I'd invite you to um, sign up for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or uh, there's a whole list of places you can get us. Um, we're on Anchor. And I invite you to kind of come back and contribute to the discussion. We we usually do a write-up of our podcasts as well. You can get those over on Ingenix.com on the podcast section of the site. And um, I hope everyone has a great day. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.